Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, you reached the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. It's Liz. And Matt. And we sure had a great weekend of playoff football. Of course, if your name wasn't John Harbaugh or Bill O'Brien, we recap this crazy divisional weekend. Yo, Kevin Stefanski is going to be your next head coach in Cleveland. Do you think that's good? Do you think it's bad? We don't know, but we sure have thoughts. Also, the Broncos and Jags parted ways with their OCs under the cover of Mahomes. Sneaky. Finally, we make our conference championship picks for this weekend. Go ahead and listen up. Bye. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. It's Liz and Matt and Brett and Matt and I are traveling a little bit this week, so recording earlier than usual. It is Monday. You'll probably get this live on Tuesday. Um, But Matt, it's kind of a big Monday because we had four pretty, well, I'd say three (laughs) pretty (laughs) great games over the weekend. Yeah. uh, Also should be noted, we're not in the same place, Liz, which, uh, you know, maybe the audience will be able to deduce that, but we're not physically with each other, uh, which is a shame. But I will say, the the slate of games that we saw this weekend was definitely I think it was better than the wild card round and that was I mean some of the most thrilling football uh, we've we've seen in a while that those last four games but the ones we just watched this weekend you know it was funny because like some of them weren't competitive obviously the 49ers ran away from the Vikings eventually but I still thought like Kyle Shanahan putting on such a clinic in that game was fascinating in and of itself. And then obviously the other two games to follow, really the only one that was like a close competitive game was the Packers and Seahawks. But at the end of the day, the other two games, so much unexpected and weird happened that it would made the, it made the theater entertaining enough. Yeah. I thought the, the Minnesota San Francisco game was a great way to open the weekend. And then you had some real meat in the sandwich with those middle two games and their outcomes. And then, you know, there was some, you know, pretty bland white toast on the other side of it. Yeah. And I think too, just like the idea of all these teams, you know, the people say this is the best weekend of football because it's the four best teams theoretically are playing whatever the, the, the four best games possible are all here. Theoretically, that's the case. I guess that's true. Uh, it's funny that the Titans are, are here and like are such an unstoppable juggernaut in this in this time frame. But it was you could really tell watching these games. And I think 49ers Vikings right off the bat. It's like, oh, yeah, these are the best teams in football. And this is much like. This is a much cleaner start to the weekend than Bill's Texans, the prior one. It was a little bit interesting to begin with, but then the 49ers. I, for me, the biggest takeaway from this game was that the 49ers healthy are a different experience 
than they were over the last month of the season. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this was like having D Ford out there just made a huge difference. I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, getting guys like Tart back, Quan Alexander, of course. Yeah, I mean, so much, so much better than what they were rolling out there, you know, from weeks 10 on or or whatever. So, yeah, I I agree with you on that. And I, I think that They came in as the best team in the NFC to me, and they remain the best team in the NFC to me. We'll see if in a one-game sample size that holds true next week. What do you think about Tevin Coleman's resurgence? 22 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Now, looking ahead... This backfield, you remember like last last summer, this backfield was just muddy and crazy. And you and I commented how their clarity started to creep in. And then injuries between Brita and Moster kind of muddy things. Again, Coleman fell out of favor and everybody was willing to fade him. And that seemed like the right move. And now, lo and behold, Kyle Shanahan decides he is back to being president of the Tevin Coleman fan club. Yeah, I think it was just a pure and simple hot hand situation. I mean, I mean this is kind of how it's been all year with this with this group. I mean... To start the year off, Tevin Coleman looked like he was going to be the guy. He gets hurt. Brita kind of runs the show for a bit. Coleman comes back, and then he's he was dominating in terms of touches, and then he fell away, and Mostert just made himself you know impossible to take off the field, bringing that explosive element. And I think yesterday, like again, probably not having as many touches on his body, you know, getting some time, getting the bye week off, of course. Coleman came in and he was running hot. I think I said during the game, it's not even that Coleman looks like he's falling forward at the end of every run. He's like flinging himself forward a couple more yards at the end of every run. I was just going to say, I, I think that that's a really important note. And you summed it up perfectly that there has been or Kyle Shanahan has shown a reticence to using any of these guys 100% of the time as a workhorse, right? They've all taken their, their, their turns in the hot hand, but I don't think it's just the hot hand. I think what you said about being rested and healthy, because each of these three running backs have shown a proclivity towards getting hurt. And so Coleman healthy is a different thing. But when we're looking at the regular fantasy football season, which is a week to week proposition, you are not going to be able to single out one of these guys because they all need either limited reps, which we've seen with Burita, right? We talked about that in the, in the middle of the season a lot. Or it's going to be a you take your turn. And then when you start to get a little fatigued, the next guy who is theoretically rested within that space of time will get his time and he will either have the hot hand or not. And so I am just cautious. Now there's plenty of time until the regular season starts up, but I'm cautious about people saying, well, you know, Coleman showed up big in the playoffs. And Mm -hmm. so now we're going to bump him up the rankings. Yeah, no, I don't think that would be wise. And it's just, it just goes to show you though, like why we have, this is the same thing that we do with the Patriots, like why we keep talking about this backfield and, you know, like the sheep easy answer is just say, you don't want anything to do with this backfield. It's way too confusing. You can't figure it out. Well, you have to try to figure it out because this backfield rocks. Like, you know, even Raheem Mostert, who's like a special teamer for most of his career, scores eight touchdowns 5.6 yards per carry this year but to your point only cleared 15 carries one time all year I mean this was a backfield that just you know you relied on efficiency if you were going to be playing these guys and more often than not that was the right thing to do Debo Samuel where do you think he goes (laughs) heading into (laughs) next year has he done enough especially considering his versatility something you and I have been talking about since April right in terms of the player skill set has he done enough to creep into the top 25 ranked receivers? You know, it's so hard, the conversation around wide receivers, because like, well, we have to see what happens with Sanders, who's a free agent. I assume, I mean, I don't see why he'd want to leave, you know, play for his third team in two years. I think 
the uh, smart money would be he comes back on a team-friendly deal, whatever. And he's been an important piece there. But Sanders, I think, will get bumped ahead. I mean, excuse me, Samuel will get bumped ahead of Sanders next year. And I think that makes sense. It's just tough when you say, like, are you going to rank him as a wide receiver too? Because we, we talked about this so many times, especially on a team that's run first. I see Samuel probably being on the high end of that, like, wide receiver three conversation you know not one of these like countless wide receiver threes that doesn't really change your season but like all the hopes that people would have had about a guy like Curtis Samuel for example coming into this year I think Debo Samuel you can do kind of the same thing clearly a talented player probably can't lock in the volume definitely not going to be the number one target on his team and I think you get it you can run into trouble projecting that guy as a top 24 wide receiver no matter how excited we are about his skill set and Liz I feel like you know we get so much stuff wrong all the time I think this was one that we not we nailed for the versatility reason but also the fit with this team too and and I think they said this during the broadcast yesterday you know they said like Kyle Shanahan said they wanted a man you know in that wide receiver room and which I immediately made me think of like Dante Pettis and like oh he's there's just some more dirt on the grave there but like Debo Samuel how he brings that physicality to the position and how this Niners team in general and the Titans too for that matter they're like we could talk about pass first teams and and I think that's the way to win in the NFL but all these teams have gotten small and fast and quick and to watch a team like the 49ers extend this to their wide receivers where like Debo's just beating the shit out of people, it's it, it just really shows you some, some of the directions that different teams can take it in the NFL today. Well, if you've ever seen the movie Friday, you know when you have a kid named Debo what to expect. So let's move ahead to the probably most stunning game of the weekend, Tennessee beating the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the, the spread on this game, according to MGM, had creeped all the way up to Baltimore giving 10. When I saw it go over nine and a half or even nine, frankly, I was like, all right, give me Tennessee and the points because I just do not. It, after I think after beating the Patriots, the Titans have deserved some respect. Yeah. I, however, did not imagine Baltimore losing. And, you know, at the top of the game, I think it's very interesting, frankly, that the Tennessee-Baltimore game and the Houston-Kansas City game were in some ways back-to-back. Sure, mm-hmm. there was an evening, a full yeah. day, if you will, that separated them. But it was uh, almost, they were like reverse images of one another because it was obvious that the rest versus rust conversation of of the Baltimore Ravens came into play and Lamar looked rusty, but also... By the end of that game, he did not look as rusty. He was putting the end. I mean, I think this game is so nuanced. The discussion of this game should be so nuanced because it's multi-layered. Like, obviously, the Ravens were missing Mark Ingram. His, um, and you mentioned the calf injury, and I offhandedly said, well, we'll get in Justice Hill because I thought the scheme was good enough, which meant I was probably not um, believing in Ingram's talent, ethos, extra energy. He's one of the best hype men in the NFL. I think we all of that off the field, on the field. And, and he, in many ways is one of the engines that runs it. Maybe he's a piston. I don't know cars well enough. Right. But like, (laughs) but I think that there was more justice Hill, but justice Hill wasn't effective enough. Right. And so there's also Lamar just being still even taking the L one of the most incredible athletes, forget football players of his time. I mean, he nearly broke uh, Dory Jackson's ankles on one of those final runs. Uh, to me, watching him not get flustered, sure, he had the turnovers, but like still grinding and running and taking the game over and putting it on his shoulders. Like this is something that we would say about, I have said about Kirk Cousins, and I feel 
and, and in his defense, and I feel like not enough people are defending Lamar Jackson with the same argument. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, yeah, I put, I don't put much of this game on Lamar and like, you know, I don't really think that there was that many like sizzling hot takes about like, well, this is why the guy isn't this or that. Like, I think a lot of people can appreciate. Well, that's not true. Cause a lot of people were saying like, well, Lamar should have never passed. Like you can't win a game where he's asked to pass the ball, whatever it was, uh, 59, 59 times. times. Yeah. yeah. Set, set career highs and in attempts, incompletions, completions, attempts, and passing yards in this game. I, so I kind of disagree with you, though. Like, I do think that you can criticize them a little bit for this because, like, I think the entire team, not Lamar Jackson necessarily, but I think I think they got off their script and out of their element way too early. Whereas, like, you know, and it's just it's the difference between where Patrick Mahomes is and his develop. I think having these two teams play right at one right after each other in a very similar conditions, you know, down you know, for what seemingly was insurmountable, you can draw a lot of parallels between these two teams. Like, because in, you know, 2018, Patrick Mahomes was, you know, the best player in football. Lamar Jackson was the best player in football in 2019. But just where each of those players are in their development, like it's, it's easy to say like, yeah, just do what the Chiefs did and just throw the ball a ton and you're going to come back. But I don't think the Ravens are quite there. And it's also worth noting too, like just, constantly getting let down by receivers drops this that and the other you know this is not a team that's it's not a team that's built to pass be, not but because that's of their not on lamar's ability uh, I, I as a passer totally agree 100 percent, 100 percent agree right, with like, you on that. i think calling up a play to willie sneed in the slot which was like i don't know a 15 yard gain and willie sneed drops it might have been less than that frankly like i i was i wasn't you know measuring i'm watching the with my eye but like and willie sneed drops that and willie sneed's not like you loved him yeah. as in, in your methodology right so like yeah. him dropping i think the whole team was just kind of shook yeah that that was what i was thinking like they you know marlon humphrey said after the game the team's reputation that and then he said it again i think this afternoon or whatever he said you know this team's reputation is they choke like we get in the playoffs and then we choke and i don't know if they choked but i think they were definitely spooked and like i was spooked watching the game you know it was almost like i was kind of sad to see the ravens go out this way because they had been such a dominant powerful entity really like the defining story of the 2019 season and they just went out like punks <laughs> like that's that's the bottom line is they kind of went outside of Lamar like the rest of the team just goes down so easy and you know it's a shame to say but like it's also a credit to the Tennessee Titans you know you for go. sticking to their identity knowing who they are I mean Ryan freaking Tannehill goes under 100 yards passing for a second game in a row and Derrick Henry like turning into the most unstoppable force in the NFL not something I expected to happen, but here we are. We're living in that reality. Well, I you use the word identity, and that's the word that kept popping up for me as I was watching this game. And I mean, I think I watched this game like almost all Americans tuning into this weekend's games the closest. I was the most excited for it because either way, I mean, I, I, I will not deny that I was absolutely rooting for the Ravens and I wanted to see Lamar go to the Super Bowl. But if the Ravens were going to lose to anyone... I don't mind them losing to the Tennessee Titans, who, as we said last week, you know, were the little X-Wings that could and defeated the Death Star. So I, I, I also think that the thing that the Titans now had was identity. 
for the longest time under Marcus Mariota. What is this team? What is this quarterback? Is he mobile? Is he tethered? Ugh, Does yeah. he have mechanics? You know, when are they going to unleash Derrick Henry? Derrick Henry's hurt. Who is Deion Lewis? Why is he part of this offense? And like, I think with Ryan Tannehill, now this team and, you know, A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith doing wonderful. I mean, that first scoring drive uh, that featured Jonu Smith in the end zone was the butt cheek that, you the know, was heard around the TV, world. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> the ass that slapper around the world. <laughs> Dan Fouts is still opining about it. Oh, the Cheeks. (laughs) It's a separate podcast we're working on. Yeah. Cheek cast. But I think, I kept thinking, oh, this team knows who they are. And that is so valuable. And it was almost like they went and stole the Ravens' identity. It's gorgeous, I think, to be able to take a step back from, because I was realizing until I pull up the box score from this game, Liz, I'm like, I don't even know, like, what number of carries Derrick Henry had? Like because, thirty, bro. Yeah, well, because we're not <laughs> because like we're not doing fantasy at this point anymore. You know, I'm less tuned into like who's accumulating stats and just like watching the games and taking it in as this like very holistic experience, I guess. And the thing that dawned to me, like you get to and you get to spend more time with each individual team because there's just less of them this is why every time i feel like we get to about week 12 i'm like geez get the damn bucks and the damn giants out of my life like i don't want to talk about these teams anymore because i don't care but like the titans i care about and like watching the sequence when mike vrabel was you know literally waiting for every single player you know to come back to the locker room and hugging all of them did have that very awkward in exchange with Marcus Mariota that was kind of uh, put a sour note on the clip and you know the like Taylor Luan coming up to his coach and saying like that piece is coming off bro because in case anyone's forgot Mike Vrabel did say he would uh cut off his his uh his penis to win a Super Bowl. So that's the thing that like, they're joking with their coach about stuff like that. And it just I think that goes together with the identity on the field with the identity off the field like this team, like they, they're together, they're jointed, and they're not like backing down and they're not panicking, which I do think the Ravens did. Well, they're also, I mean, this is the underdog narrative. This is what Philadelphia did two years ago, right? They are leaning into the no one thought we could and now we are shtick. And I don't, I think it's more than a shtick, frankly. That's not yeah. the right word to use. And so I, it is exciting. I, I think I have to ask you, though, you know, this is still a fantasy podcast. So, if Tennessee retains Ryan Tannehill, who I'm imagining is going to get himself paid next year, and they bring Derrick Henry back, who is a free agent. Now, that'll be an interesting conversation over the summer yeah. because obviously they are loading up the carries on this guy. And the running backs, uh, running back talent doesn't matter conversation is a little tenuous right now when you look at the Tennessee Titans. But also there is mathemat- mathematics to be done about, not that I'm a computer guy by any means. Well, you're but, not getting um, a job in the Giants front office then in that right. case. But there is something to be said about number of carries versus explosiveness, right? That is a that is a corollary relationship. And if Derrick Henry is putting up all of these carries, we've seen DeMarco Murray do it, Todd Gurley do it, and then watch his explosiveness, speed, effectiveness wane as a result, how many more do you have left? Do the, I have to imagine Tennessee brings him back. Now, whether or not his agent will like you know, he and his agent or his team will demand X amount of money. All of Melvin Gordon remains to be seen. But let's say everybody's cool and everybody's fine and they're still feeling the good vibes that they were toward in yeah. December and January. Do you make Derrick Henry a top five fantasy pick? Not five running back, a top five pick God. at the top of next year. Uh, probably not uh, because – 
you know, there's just so many backs that have the passing game security role. And I, I mean, I hate to say, I just, it gets make, I want to throw up like <laughs> answering the question in the negative sense, because like, he's just such a wonderful player. And I do think like, there's a great conversation to have, you know, in terms of what they're going to do with this team. Cause like Tannehill and Derrick Henry, they are both free agents. Like you mentioned, I have no idea how you handle the Derrick Henry thing. Cause like, look, you can say like, and I have said running back talent doesn't matter. Like Derrick Henry matters like a lot right now. Mark Ingram clearly matters too. I mean, we just talked about how the Ravens missed his presence as well. Yeah. I mean, and it's just like the Henry is so unique. That's what's the, the amazing thing about him. This is why, I've been honking about Derrick Henry since like his NFL preseason. Like he just doesn't look like other people out there. He doesn't look like other running backs out there. Like the what he's able to do, like he punked around Earl Thomas like it wasn't like it was nothing. You know, he just ragdolled him. It's unbelievable. And I saw uh JJ Zacharyson at late round QB from Number Fire tweeted out red zone to touchdown field goal ratio since week seven, which is when Ryan Tannehill took over. The Titans have 31 touchdowns to one field goal in the red zone. That's, you know, they have thirty a 31 ratio there. No one else is more than five. Like, that's absurd type of stuff. The conversion that they have, and that's because of Derrick Henry and because they have the most efficient, and because of that, I think then they're able to have one of the most efficient passing games in the NFL. I have I just have no idea if you can capture lightning in a bottle twice in a row like this. So because of that, no, I don't think he's a top five fantasy pick, but I definitely think he matters. That's for sure. We'll have to keep an eye on the rest of the season and obviously the contract negotiations over the summer, which I'm sure, Matt, you and I will have plenty of discussions about. Let's move on to the upside down of this game, uh, of the other game, the the Texans at Chiefs game at Arrowhead. Tough place to play. So we've heard. So we've heard. (laughs) The the spread on this game was nine and a half. I still was going Chiefs because the Texans are so lousy. That seemed, but when this game started, my goodness, they were down. Obviously, the football Twitter was a fire with them. You even tweeted something about the Chiefs mascot banging his head against the gas station. Was amazing, by the way. (laughs) Like that's just, (laughs) I love when stuff like that just creeps into the broadcast. So so beautiful. But then. Patrick Mahomes showed that he is football Jesus and him healthy is a different thing. I could sit here and yeah, I almost, you know, wish that I was writing da- writing while I was like noting things as I was watching the game. I was not. I was actually enjoying it. Forgive me. And uh, because it was pretty enjoyable. And there were so Apology many moments accepted. that I was like, thank you, that I said, how do you do that? How do you do that? Like, I literally covered my mouth and said, how do you do that? Like, I mean, I think the uh, the uh, touch pass to Travis Kelsey at the bottom of the second half, second quarter, um, rather, was probably the biggest moment in which you were like, he's Houdini on the field. I don't know who else can do that. It is impossible. And this is why he is so special and why I think, I hope, we're all rooting for him to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm definitely rooting for the Chiefs to, to take the Super Bowl at this point. I mean, other than my Niners. So, like... A bit of a conflict there, I guess. But uh, like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember seeing anything like this ever. I mean, it was literally like God amongst men type of stuff. And, but at the same time, it just felt like, yep, this is about, this is about what's, what's supposed to happen. And I think this is, this is one of those things where experience comes into play. I mean, like the Chiefs have been on this stage before, you know, they've been in the AFC championship game, Patrick Holmes last year. It's his second year in the playoffs. I think that really matters a lot. Like, whereas Baltimore wilted and, you know, got away from who they are, like 
the Chiefs just kept doing their thing, you know, and and like it's great when your thing is Patrick Mahomes and he can go out on 35 attempts, average 9.2 yards per attempt, you know, five touchdowns, like all this banana stuff and just completely toying with everyone on the field. And it just is one of those things where like it, it, maybe this is hindsight type stuff, but the the Chiefs are down 24 to nothing, but it never quite felt like the Texans were really in control of the game. You know, like, does that make any sense? Whereas like the Titans, they felt like they were controlling the game. And maybe it's because they have Derrick Henry, they have this running back. Maybe if the, the Texans had like a big established run type running back, maybe we're talking about a different story here today. But I don't know if that's the case when you have an unstoppable force on the other side of the field. I think that's a fair assessment. I also feel like the Texans seemed surprised that they had the had the lead in the beginning. Yeah, I think I think it, it was surprising and I think just like for Bill O'Brien to say like they didn't have a play for fourth and one, it just Oh, so... yes. Thank you for bringing that up because the, uh, you know, you've joked plenty of times on Twitter as well like what is Bill O'Brien going to be, the HC or the GM? And yeah. that seems like a giant omission and even though he has a winning record and there are plenty of of you know, fans in Houston who will come to his defense, I always have to say, like, given the roster that he has, particularly and obviously offensively, you can't just, you can't have answers like that. And and this can't, you are expected to go further than the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, it's tough because it feels like this was their ceiling. Like, this was the best that they could do is get to the divisional round, put up a fight against a team like the Chiefs that's just so much better than them. And I don't know what the answers are for Houston because they're not. I mean, Bill O'Brien already said today, I don't see any reason to change things up. He is the emperor. He is uh, in complete control of that franchise. And, you know, they went all in on this year. And even as they went all in on this year, this was the ceiling we could imagine for them. And I mean, I mean, it happened in a in a weird way, but they lost by 20 points to a team that's way better than them in the divisional round. Like this was the best that they could possibly do. Like you got all of these pieces to make it one more game further in the playoffs like that's not that's not good enough here here in 2020 for you um i i don't know where the the texans i don't know where they go from here they have a lot of questions to answer but on the kansas city side it just is it's it's really fascinating to to see just a perfect confluence of events and i really hope that it takes them all the way to the super bowl i i agree i think last point about the texans is that there does feel like there's some angst, some tumult, some sadness over the fact that Deshaun Watson is such an incredible athlete and game-changing figure, and maybe these prime years of his are being wasted. Yeah, well, especially the years where he's cheap, too. Like, the, the cheap prime years of him have gone to a team that, again, this is this is their ceiling. There's There's not much more you can hope for there. And, you know, there were some injuries for them this year. You could totally get it, but still feels like with just one man running the operation, it's hard to see. It's hard to see the plan here and it's hard to see the path forward. All right. Finally, this is I mean, we're going to end it this way. Seattle, Green Bay, um, (laughs) the spread, the spread. I mean, of course, this game happened over a lunar eclipse in cancer match. So this game, uh, the spread on this one was four and a half. And the Seahawks did not cover, obviously, because they lost by five. I, I, I didn't like I watched this game and I felt nothing. I will admit I, I didn't care. I wasn't conflicted. Maybe it's because after watching the Kansas City game, like you just see this. You you see Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things. And then you see Aaron Rodgers like 
sure, having his moments. And Devontae Adams balled out, but also just such um, an underwhelming affair. Yeah, I thought I thought this was the best Rodgers has looked in months. And you know, from like a making Rodgers type throws, like he keeps trying to write all these very tough checks to write because he knows that his arm can cash them, but not maybe he doesn't as, have the receivers though. He doesn't have the receivers. That's the thing that the tough part, like James and I, James Coe and I talked about this on our Madden preview show. Like I disagreed with him that, you know, Rogers does, he, he does not have enough around him to be, to, to offset any decline in his play. And like, I think just watching him, you can see there has been a small, at least a small decline in his play. But then like, you're running Alan Rizard out there as your clear number two receiver, and he's had moments, but he should be like your four or your three at best, but he's your clear cut number two, best option available. You got Jimmy Graham out there. Uh, talk, I mean, talk about a revenge game. The, this total Ugh. dust ball comes out. <laughs> he's, I cried like when I unboxed him this week for, for my DFS segment. I mean, the guy's been nothing all year, comes out and, you know, moves the chains for the Packers. Like, I think this was the, the it was super encouraging, I think, for the Packers to get a really strong performance from their front seven and get a really strong performance from Aaron Rodgers because, you know, it's it's tough when like things that have been questions in Green Bay are no longer questions. And that's the running game. And I think the pass rush and the defense having an identity. But the question coming into the playoffs is like, where is Rodgers at? But it's like if Rodgers is here, that's probably good enough for them to upset the 49ers next week. I mean, I'm going to pick the 49ers. I think they're the way better team, but I feel a lot better about Green Bay coming out of this game than I did going into it. So I don't agree. I mean, I think that I I agree with you that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough around him. And I think the two weeks of rest obviously did him good. But I've got a problem when your safety valve, Jimmy Graham, needs a safety valve. This, I mean, he caught three damn balls, Matt. Like yeah. no, three I mean, balls. Yeah. Under, Aaron Rodgers passed for under 250 yards. What? That's not Aaron Rodgers in the postseason. And and maybe he didn't have to against. He didn't have to do more against Seattle, right? And we know that obviously Lafleur wants to lean on the run. And Aaron Jones had another monster day. Jamal Williams was a little banged up heading into this one anyway. But I was much more impressed by Russell Wilson on oh, the other yeah. side of things than I was Aaron Rodgers. Total, to, is, you know. to, totally agree. I mean, I'm just I'm judging it off like 2019 Rogers scale, not Rogers of old. I just thought he looked like some of the throws that he and Adams were making just completely on the same page. I thought it was really impressive. But the Seattle side of it to me is, I think, the more interesting conversation, because like as much as I can praise uh, I can praise Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, I still think they're going to lose next week. And I think the 49ers are way better. But the Seattle conversation is interesting because, like, my God, is this not the exact same story that we watched last year, you know, with Dallas? Like, when are the Seahawks going to let the, let themselves be great, you know? Like, they're out there trying to establish the run with Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch, who collectively average under two yards per carry in the postseason. What are we do- Like, what are we doing here? Like, I don't – I cannot imagine being a fan of this team <laughs> – <laughs> like I it's, it's tough it's tough I mean you have but to your point you have it it's particularly distressing when you have Tyler Lockett converting nine of ten for over 130 and scoring when you have DK Metcalf who had a quiet game this week but should have had a better game and Amazing also plays yeah right and we and we saw 
the week before what his ceiling could be. Um, you know, y- you want to talk about safety valves and tight ends. Jacob Hollister's not been a nothing, right? He may not be, you know, a, a yak guy, but he's certainly efficient. And maybe you could argue that because of, you know, his dot or whatever, he probably should be efficient because these aren't deep balls. But six of five, I'll take that, you know. Um, and you have a dual skill set in Russell Wilson who's built his career on being efficient and productive behind a crappy offensive line. It, it was so, I, I don't know, that I, I, this is why I felt nothing. I just felt like, what, what are you doing here? Well, just one stat I saw uh, on Twitter from at I Brian no I don't know who I don't know who this person is but I saw the uh, Brian Knowles retweeted on my timeline a qu- just to emphasize the point about Jacob Hollister not being a yak guy 12 of Jacob Hollister's 49 career receptions have been one or two yards short of a first down which is as the tweeter says here kind of incredible <laughs> he always seems like he's just short of where he needs to be but can't quite get there but to the point about like like yeah Russell Wilson was amazing in this game I just don't know why they I don't know why Pete Carroll insists on being so conservative. I don't know why they are this way cuz yeah, Lockett was awesome in this game. Metcalf had some had some nice catches and it just did you really think you were going to come out and establish the run with Marshawn Lynch and like I I love Marshawn Lynch but it's way past over and your defense is not good. Like that was another point why I thought Seattle was just a fraud of a playoff team. Their defense is not good. They don't get pass rush. They don't really, they, they held Jones to under four yards per carry. Like good for you. There's your lollipop, but they have so many holes in the secondary and just, it's a, it's a total, it's a, it's a really bad defense and they continue to coach and call plays like they have a great defense. And I just don't know, like how this changes for Seattle because like Pete Carroll needs to have an epiphany and I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I, I think you could probably argue there's some injury issues here, right? Like Marshawn yeah. Lynch came out of retirement, but I hear your point. I mean, this was the, this is the argument we had with the Philadelphia Eagles, right? That's why Gro lost his job because it took him, it took them as an offense too long to adjust. It, it happened in week one and it wasn't until week 10 Dallas Goddard ish became a thing, right? So if you know Marshawn Lynch is your running back, probably you're going to rely on Russell Wilson. And I mean, to be fair, they did in terms of rushing. He had seven carries to Lynch's 12, but he averaged nine yards per carry. Yeah. Um, so Russell Wilson, the most productive rusher of this backfield. I, you know, I don't. I you're. I think you're spot on by saying this is um, a do-over from from last year. It's a replication of last year's effort. And moving forward, we'll see. What happens um, from a fantasy perspective in the backfield as well? Injuries, guys will get healed up. We'll see who's the. Uh, I, I have a feeling we're going to do a, a little bit of. Um, oh, what's Chris Carson and Rashad, Rashad Penny? Pe- Rashad Penny watch over the summer. Isn't it been beautiful? It took me a minute to remember. I was like Penny, Penny. What's the first name? It's because I've been <laughs> off of fantasy, I haven't had to think about it. Hey, I was uh, even thinking like it's gorgeous. I love it. Yeah. And Frenny Hardaway got into my brain for a second there. That was Penny Hard, a different sport, Orlando, whatever. Let's move on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Coaching hires, Matt, you said last week that the Cleveland Browns would indeed hire uh, Kevin Stefanski, who, wow, he's coming off a great game. But the Browns, (laughs) nothing shakes them. They are confident in their decisions that their backup last year will be the answer. So, um, new head coach in Cleveland. Uh, so I think there's two 
ways to talk about this coaching hire, and one is good and one is bad. And the the let's just start with the bad part because it's the Browns, man. Why not? The bad part about this is I have no one. None of us knows who's going to be a good head coach. So let me just talk out of my ass for a little bit here. But like, I think the Browns have you know a ton of to- like. Here's a hot take, unique take. The Browns have a lot of top to bottom issues and apparently Josh McDaniels wanted to, to go in and say like I'm if I, if you bring me in we're going to put this thing you know we're going to we're going to we're going to shred this you know from from the top to the bottom and we're going to rebuild the entire organization and Cleveland didn't want to go that way cuz and I think there's a I think you can say that like Stefanski is an analytics leaning guy the analytics heavy front office wants to go hire their GM Paul Paul DePodesta has the ear of the owner, and, like, that's great. It's going to at least be everybody's going to be on one vision, and I think that's good. If the owner didn't want to start all the way over, that's fine. But I think, like, so many many personality issues in the locker room this year, and, like, you know, Odell, like, wants to do his thing. Baker's out here still fighting with the media. Like, there's just a lot of off-field questions to answer. I have no idea if Kevin Stefanski is the guy who can come in there and, you know, be the mom of the of the locker room, Liz. Like how you used to say that the steel like the Steelers needed a mom, you know? Like I think the Browns need someone to come in and 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 kick their ass around a little in the locker room. I have no idea if Stefanski's that guy. But the good I don't thing- I don't know either. I don't yeah. know either because so much of his career has been shadowed by Kubiak. But I also just to touch on the McDaniels point, are you sure? So I, I don't wholly buy that it was the top to down and and I think you're hinting at it, but not necessarily leaning into it all the way, the top to down restructuring, but also that Dan, he wanted to come in. He's like, I have learned at the foot of Bill Belichick, y'all going to give me some money and you're all going <laughs> to give me all the power yeah. and I'm going to run the damn show. Yeah. And that didn't, I, I think it was more about control and power and situations that you've seen in the jets and oh, yeah. with the Texans and that being more of a potential that being problematic for ownership in Cleveland. I think that's certainly possible. I know the owner has wanted Josh McDaniels for a long time. I would just be surprised. And But hey, look, I'm not, I'm, this is like, I don't mean to make this a pro Josh McDaniels podcast. Cause like, I don't know how you could, I don't know how you could ever buy in on that experience. So if that's the way they wanted to go, that's great. Now, look, I have no idea if Josh McDaniels is the guy to come in and like, you know, bang the heads around and like get everyone marching to the beat of one drum. I don't know that that's the answer either. Now, to to skew positive here on the Kevin, Kevin Stefanski hire, it's a little bit of what we talked about last week, which is just I think that the way theoretically, because I think you're right to point out how much is Kubiak, how much is Stefanski. I mean, they said in the broadcast, I think Chris Collinsworth said it like Mike Zimmer said the best thing to ever happen to him is Gary Kubiak. Like, I don't. I think it's impossible to really parse out what is Stefanski, what is Kubiak, this, that, or the other. But if Stefanski brings a lot of the ways that he called plays, because he was the play caller, the way he called plays, play action, you know, the bootleg run, all that type of stuff. I think it's a great fit for Baker Mayfield because Kirk Cousins was awesome on play action this year. He was fourth among all quarterbacks in yards per adjusted yards per attempt on play action throws. Baker Mayfield really was. Pretty good on play action, too. I wrote a top 10 play action quarterback article this week or last week, and he would have ranked 12th among all play action passers. So, like, I think there is a way that he can fit into that offense really well. And I think that is 
beyond the culture, beyond everything like that, the most pressing on-field concern is like, how do we fix Baker Mayfield to get him more like the guy in year one than he was in year two? I think Stefanski theoretically is a good fit there. I agree that the architect of, or, or the, yeah, the architect of my, of Minnesota's current offense could certainly be copied and pasted effectively into Cleveland, the structure of it. He, Kevin Stefanski is the theoretical architect, I suppose. That's something we won't know. But I agree also that this is going to be interesting. I mean, this is a team over the summer that I'm going to be watching the beat reporters closely in terms of how Stefanski deals with the media, how, how the players are talking to him. All of that extra hoopla that has always surrounded the Browns is not going to leave them this summer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a tough time seeing it, too. It's just the players that they have. The players that they have on the, on the team, I think that that's just the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And how this guy is going to is going to manage them or mom them. All right. So the Broncos fired Scangarello in the middle of the Chiefs comeback. And we can- <laughs> I, my, by the way, my favorite type of coaching announcement when the when the team's like, hey, hey hell of a playoff game. We got to hear. How about that? Patrick Holmes? By the way, we're going to go ahead and fire Rich Gangarello. The Titans <laughs> did it a few years ago. I can't remember. It might have been during during a Chiefs play. It was a wild playoff game was going on and they like slid that news that they were going to make Mike Malarkey the head coach which seems like a thousand years ago at this point. I but mean like, I'd slide that news too. Yeah right exactly like <laughs> hey hey what a game we got going on here NFL playoffs that's crazy. We're going to go ahead and make Mike Malarkey our head coach. My favorite. Well similarly I mean uh, can you understand why when the new OC is going to be Pat Shermer? I, I think that's kind of exciting, though. I know you. Look, I do, but I'm. But I think the reason they're sliding it is this is a guy who's just been fired and yeah. like ostensibly demoted. To uh, how are you going to get Broncos fans, casual Broncos fans, like like idiot football heads like you, maybe me, more you, um, yeah, are probably sure. going to be less excited by the news that like oh oh new york's cast off there and that's our guy oh god block is screwed i hate elway you know <laughs> yeah i get that um i would tell broncos fans that they do feel that way hey remember uh that trash bag case keenum that you had as quarterback remember how bad he was for your team the guy you just hired as the offensive coordinator made him good the year before so good that your stupid gm wanted to give him all that money to come be your quarterback so there's a way to encourage Broncos fans about this. And I think you stole my damn point. But I wait before you keep going. I wanted Brett, who is a Broncos fan and our producer to weigh in. Brett, that's what I'm thinking. All I'm thinking about is what is with the 2017 Vikings or 20, yeah. Yeah, 2017 Vikings. About, OK, it didn't work out in New York, but it didn't work out in New York after it worked out so well in Minnesota that they, he had to get hired as a as a head coach. So. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it was it wasn't working out with Skangs. Anything is better than Skangs, right? So, Shermer's been around for a while, has had success as an OC in this league enough so that he failed upwards into an HC role. And sometimes, twice, <laughs> sometimes when you're a Wade Phillips or a whoever, you gotta yeah. go up into the HC role to be like, you know what? It's not for me. You know, the OC role or the DC role is 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 more my speed, and maybe. Maybe he's just going to be a great offensive coordinator the rest of his career. And and hopefully I'm thinking about that right now instead of the, you know, Danny Breadsticks offense. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I think I I think it's an awesome hire. I think I think it's pretty I think that's why, like, they went ahead and fired Skangs. Like, I don't know that they would have not. I I think they might have brought back Skangarello had Shermer not become available i don't know i I think it's i think it's a really good fit like with everybody schematically 
I think Philip Lindsay could crush it, you know, as a feature back in this type of offense. Like if they just want to let him be great, that would be awesome. I don't know. I really like the. I really think it's good news for Broncos fans and for Drew Locke. To back it up to what something uh, Matt just said about our stupid GM, I think that's going to be a little bit more of the issue. I would like to really see some investment in uh, offensive line yes. and uh, maybe a new receiver to go in that. So, so we'll see. We'll see if they make the personnel changes on offense that need to go along with this. Less impressive, I guess you could say, than Skangs being fired. Less surprising, more heartbreaking to me personally. Oh, this is, is your that, guy. This is your yeah. this is your dude. John D. Filippo, who uh made Gardner Minshew into a thing. Well, he got fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I did tweet that in my next life I'd love to be Doug Marone. And people <laughs> I see you you're laughing because you know what I mean. And some people are like, you got to explain this one. And I'm like, do I do I have to explain? I mean, is there someone with a more lucky? Cur- I don't know what he did in his past life to get the good karma that he is rolling with in this one. I am beyond it. I mean, he did dub himself a quote saint. Um, <laughs> and that was a like self-made nickname. Gotta love um, that. When he was in in Buffalo. But this to me is just like a pure fear-based move on Marone's part or an urging of Marone's part that's like, listen, if you're going to retain me a second year, it's it's that offense, man. Let me tell you. I mean, Coughlin was a thing, but also this guy Flip, I mean, we, we got to get rid of him. And I, I do think it's a shame because there are question marks about the quarterback position here. And I also think now we're like, well, the the relationship with John Filippo and Nick Foles was something that we all talked about heading into the season. Then Flip, I think, did something special with Gardner Minshew. And now we're going to have a, con- a quarterback controversy over the summer. But I have to imagine that Nick Foles is not as much in favor. I don't I don't know. So uh, the, I think one thing that we disagree on is just like, I think the identity, like what John Filippo can be a fine offensive coordinator, but I don't think he is going to be a good offensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars in the way they want to the way they want to play. It's why it was always a strange fit because you know he's a shotgun quarterback RPO type guy. That's not the offense that they can run with Leonard Fournette. And it's not really the offense that Gardner Minshew excelled in in the middle of the season. So I think that there is. I just don't know who you're going to get at this point. And like, are you going to sell out for some established the run guy? Like, is that really the well, forward thing? That's thinking? the point, though, Matt. Like, that's the frustrating part is that when you've decided to keep Marone, you've decided to move against evolution. And I thought that at least retaining Flip would maybe soften Marone, who whose loyalties are questionable yeah. at every damn turn, right? <laughs> like, this guy's the ultimate bus thrower. And so. <laughs> I thought, okay, hey, maybe Marone can be, maybe it was Coughlin. We talked a couple of episodes ago about like good cop versus bad bad cop, right? Like maybe Marone is more malleable and this will shift and change because it's not like you don't have great receivers that were uncovered this year. You don't, and it's not like your running back is Derrick Henry. In fact, he's antithetical to Derrick Henry in terms of skill set, despite size. Yeah. And like. You know, you see a big back run like Derrick Henry does, and you look at Lennon Fournette, and you're like, great, nice YPC of 2.8. Bleep that out. Sorry, I got carried away. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so, and and then you, why are we running this offense when we don't have to? Can we just have an awesome defense and an explosive offense? Is that so mind-bending? The thing with Jacksonville right now is that they have nothing. They got nothing to be excited about, other than the fact that they have a theoretical cheap young quarterback. They, I'm, I'm they with do you. have receivers, Mac. Yeah, they've got receivers. 
They've got the great Chris Conley and DJ Chark, who definitely had a breakout season. There's, there's not there. Okay, there's something to build around with with that they passing have game. I hate Didi Westbrook, but whatever. Yeah, he's a fine player. They, they, they've got receivers and they've got a theoretically cheap young quarterback. They've got a big fat question at running back. They don't have a good offensive line, and their defense has gone from the best in the NFL to the absolute worst. So I don't, I don't just don't know what you do that. I agree with you that you're running it back with the Marone crew. Even more concerning, you're running it back with Dave Caldwell in the front office. I don't, I don't love anything going on in in Jacksonville right now. Well, like, and how regardless. much of that defense is bad because of the play calling or because of the personnel, and bad because of the Jalen Ramsey drama and the obvious now in hindsight we can see schism between the players in the front office, right? Like yeah. maybe these players would play. I, I, I'm not buying that this is a bad defense. This was a bad defense for two consecutive years after having an incredible defense. I don't know. That seems like a lot of bad to me. Um, but well, I. But- but there are reasons for it, right? Like this is um, you. You've seen team. I mean, are you not counting the? Co- and I, I mean, I'm I'm asking legitimately because this is. Uh, I, I don't know why I get so wound up about this particular team, or it's it's because it's the like constant carousel of idiocy that is so bothersome. But why I I cannot discount the Coughlin problem. Oh yeah, and the culture problem, and I have to imagine like we've seen teams with the same personnel and a change at coaching come in and and turn the thing around and a lot of it is because of scheme building and culture let me in tandem let me tell you what uh tom coughlin tom coughlin uh it was kind of leaking out over the weekend that um he's advising matt rule the new panthers head coach in the transition from Baylor to Carolina because rule long ago was part of that Giants organization. Panthers Twitter, which I'm still associated with, freaked out at the even notion that Coughlin was going to have some role with the team. I mean, lost it. And then like some of the reporters had to kind of clear it up like, okay, no, no, no. It's just kind of like he's given him his, his list of contacts and like maybe here or there they have a phone call, not Coughlin's about to come have another czar role. So no, you can't discount the fact that Tom Coughlin messed that place up. I just don't know that they've done enough to transition away from that mess. Like Agreed. I said, yeah. And I think, so I, I think mean, we're firing on the flip to me, firing flip to me is evidence of that. So we'll see who they install. Let me, let me be real clear. If it's not Todd Monken, which would probably be ineffective for all the reasons we discussed, because he's going to run an <laughs> offense that's not effective in this backwards, antiquated Doug Marone scheme, then uh, I am officially, I'm sorry, some things are too broken to be repaired. I'm out. Very true. Um, hey, one more offensive coaching hire that happened as we're taping the podcast. And Liz, this is also related to matters of your heart. The Bears are hiring former Bengals offensive coordinator Bill Lazor as their OC to replace Mark Helfrich, uh, the former Oregon coach. So Bill Lazor back in our lives, everybody. Ah, yes. Uh, formerly <laughs> the head coach of the Miami Dolphins was fired there a couple of years ago. Was he a was he a? Was he a? Uh, he was like an interim. He, a, he was an offensive coordinator. He was never a head coach. Was he just the OC? Yeah, but he got fired right. uh, in the middle of the season. So that's what that's makes it. it seem. That's what makes it seem like he was, uh, you know, really something there. Um, yeah, he right. he got. So, to, remember, he was hyped because he was with uh, he was uh, Chip Kelly's quarterback coach in the, it, the one year it worked pretty well for the Eagles. Uh, and then, of course, obviously things went south in Miami. And then he's been with the Bengals all this time later so yeah he was the quarterbacks coach in the with the Bengals and then the OC with the Bengals so 
Yeah, it sounds um sounds great. Sounds just um sounds on brand for the Bears. <laughs> Bill Lazer back in our lives. What a throwback. Uh Matt, let's talk about the championship games while we're at it. Good call. Uh, Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs. And I should mention that the Chiefs are giving currently, according to BetMGM, seven and a half. Ooh, spicy. Uh man, this is real this is really hard because I just don't know how you can possibly bet against Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs based on what they did last week. But how do you just like it all it all comes down to like see the difference I think between the Texans and the Titans is that the Titans can control games. Houston never has control of a game. The Titans can control you for four quarters and do exactly what they want to do and dictate the action. It's just tough Matt, to Yes. What is the Chiefs' biggest weakness defensively? Theoretically, it's defending the run. That's um that's a hell of a matchup. It is a hell of a matchup, but we ran and again, D- Derrick Henry is not a normal running back. He is a he is a species beyond us mere mortals. He is a, a he's an evolutionary step above us. All these other goofball running backs out there, but we did this a lot during the season where it's like, yeah, teams could come in and average five yards a carry against the Chiefs, but when they're trailing the whole time, it's hard to really find a ceiling game for the running back and. You know, again, Derrick Henry's different, and I think like he's the most he's the most unstoppable dominant player in football right now, and it, that makes me so happy. I don't want to see the ride end, but there's just something about this Chiefs team right now, the way they're playing pretty well on defense, the way they're. And then you even have Chris Jones last week. I think that's a big that's a big talking point. Like if Chris Jones get back gets back, I think that could be a huge difference maker. Um, so we'll see there, but I, I there's no way right now. I think I can bet against the Chiefs. Well, Ryan Tannehill is going to have to pass for more than 88 yards. He's going to have to go over 100 yards passing. He's actually going to have to throw the ball. Yeah, yeah. If if facing Patrick Mahomes and company. So I think that that th- this is going to be a big show me test. We know what the backfield can do, right? And we know we saw the defense bring all sorts of heat last week and excel beyond expectation. So we know that the grit and the determination on defensively is there as well. We need to see the quarterback do quarterback like things. Yeah. It's going to be harder, as you said, to I think your point about controlling the game is spot on. It's going to be much harder to do that against the Chiefs. So, yeah, we need to see more like A.J. Brown come come back into our lives, you know, against this Chiefs team Chiefs team next week if they're going to pull off another upset that is the Tennessee Or Titans. some creative use of Khalif Raymond who obviously has quicks and shows big. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like let's use that's a weapon. Like I would I'd love to see John DeFilippo use that guy. That's another story. Um, <laughs> hey, hey also right. to just like maybe throw Derrick Henry some passes. I don't know. Like just get him involved in the screen game. That's that's don't, something you can do as well. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that either. All right, so let's, for the sake of argument, are you taking the Chiefs at seven, uh, giving yep. seven and a half? Or, okay, yep. yeah, so am I. And Green Bay at San Francisco. San Francisco is giving seven, so that's a pretty heavy favorite for the 49ers game, obviously, at Levi. So Green Bay is traveling. They won't have the benefit of their very cold temperatures, which, uh, you know, whatever. Everybody said that was going to be a big deal last week. And um, I so narrative-wise, I do think it's interesting that when Aaron Rodgers was named the starter in 2007, I believe Jimmy Garoppolo, who's a native of the Chicagoland area, stand up Arlington Heights, uh, was in high school and then went to college, as we all know, at Eastern Illinois. So it's interesting that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be playing against 
his, you know, everyone talks about the Bears-Green Bay Packers rivalry. It's the oldest rivalry in the NFL. And I grew up in the exact same area. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo went to my my rival high school. So I know huh. the fervor for this rivalry. This isn't like, oh, I've yeah. heard it. Like, I have lived it. I grew up living it. You hate Brett Favre. You hate Aaron Rodgers. That is in you. Now, being in this business, I've gotten some distance from that. You're but a pro. I have yeah. Yeah, well, you know, but so while Jimmy Garoppolo is obviously in this business and, and has gotten some distance from it, I have to believe that like his family and all of those surrounding him, this isn't a kid who was a first round pick who went to some fancy Big Ten school or out of the SEC, like are going to be feeling the pressure like, yo, you're playing Aaron Rodgers in the NFC conference. That's huge. So from a narrative perspective, I am really interested in that. And the fact that Jimmy gets to do it at home quote home san francisco is particularly appealing all right now you can have the stage (laughs) (laughs) i like that i just had to say it no i think i think that's an interesting narrative angle and i think this stuff matters a lot when it comes to playoffs and you know this the sort of the stake of everything just i love i've loved why i always love watching the playoffs because it just feels so different and maybe it's because we're not talking about like this guy's yards per carry given up to the left side of the field versus the right side of the field and this blah, 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 blah. Like we're talking, about, I don't know. It just feels different and I love to watch it. But and so I think narratives like that matter a lot. Now, what I don't think matters as much is the fact that Green Bay got absolutely throat punched when they came into San Francisco, you know, during the year. Uh, but that is a reality. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo overall played a really clean game last week. I mean, he was kind of in the background. He had that one. I don't know that it was a bad play by him more than it was just a great like all pro level defensive play by all pro Eric Kendricks uh, on the interception there. So I think Garoppolo by by now has like proven that he is more than capable of being the point guard for this amazing offense that just like I said, absolutely put on a clinic against the Vikings. I, I think the, the 49ers are the way better team. But I can see a scenario where like Zadarius Smith, who I don't think gets talked about enough, is like such a slam dunk uh, signing. Like they paid him a lot of money in free agency, did Brian Gutekunst and the Green Bay Packers. And he's been like one of the five best edge players in the NFL, I think, this year, especially to end the season. Like there's a scenario where he could be a game wrecker because those tackles, Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, haven't been great all year. That's one matchup that I think he could just totally take this over. And Preston Smith has been good, too. But Zedarius really is the star of the show. They both had two sacks uh, yesterday, and I'm glad you mentioned Zarius. But I also think Blake Martinez, the linebacker, um, is an unsung part of the defense, the Packers defense as well. Be interesting to see what how how he's used in this in this game. Yeah. So, are you taking the Packers or the 49ers? I think you said you were taking as a lifelong fan, you're yeah. taking the 49ers. Look, absolutely. I'm as a lifelong 49ers fan, I am definitely taking uh the 49ers here to win, but I think that seven line I could see it being close to that. So, I think I might take the Packers and the points, but take the 49ers to win straight up. I also think that line is going to is going to go down. It's yeah. going to move by the end that. of the week. I think it's going to end around six and a half or six. I don't think it's going to stay at seven. I can see that. Because I think a lot of people are going to look at the Packers and, and think that they'll they'll put it more. People will be shocked. Aaron Rodgers, right, versus Jimmy Garoppolo. Anyway, yeah. 
I think that'll move. Um, we will not be moving, but we will be back next week. And I guess we will move and back to be our moving, regularly, yeah. yeah, our regularly scheduled time. And we will talk about the Super Bowl matchup, among other news that occurs. You can follow us on Twitter, Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Matt Herman underscore BYB. Thank you, Brett Rader, our resident Broncos fan, for chipping in there. We are out.